You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Um, right now, if we are, uh, if you're not familiar, we're going through a short sermon series on the overarching storyline of the Bible. And, uh, you know, sometimes when we discuss the Bible, it's easy to view it as just these disjointed, disconnected stories. But it's not. It's one unified story. Uh, a few years ago, I remember watching The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, with my mom. And uh, afterwards, I remember I asked her what she thought about the movie. And uh, she's, the, her first reaction was, why did they make all the characters so ugly? Okay, that was the first reaction. But then I asked her what she thought about the storyline. And she said, I had no idea what was going on. I just didn't know what was going on. And, and so it was hard for me to enjoy the movie because I didn't know what was going on. And, uh, and the reason why she didn't know what was going on is because The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog, is part two of a three-part series, and it's part of this huge Lord of the Rings universe and um, Middle Earth universe. And my mom had never watched any of these movies. She had never watched any of these books. She had no idea what was going on. And I think uh, reading the Bible is a little bit similar. When we read the Bible, sometimes we can just read one story in the Bible, without understanding the context of the Bible. And when we do that, sometimes we can misunderstand what we are reading. Sometimes what we are reading may confuse us. And as a result, sometimes we may even find it difficult to enjoy reading the Bible because we're just reading this one passage. So we're doing this series so that we are talking about this whole overarching storyline of the Bible so that we can understand uh, the whole Bible. And so we divided this into six sections. Firstly, we talked about creation, how God created the universe and how the universe was created to be good. Uh, and, and humans were made to be, uh, uh, bear the image of God. And secondly, we talked about the fall, how we rebelled against God, and the curse of sin fell upon the world. And today, as part three, we're moving to the idea of promise. The theme of promise is an important one, because throughout the Bible, we see all over the place God making promises. And one of the most notable examples of this is, is God making this promise to a guy named Abraham. Later, he gets renamed Abraham in Genesis 12. 1 through 3. And I'll just read this. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This is God talking to Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And, and here's a promise. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And when I read this, one uh, word that stands out to me is the word bless. If you read this, it actually appears in four different ways. Uh, God promises blessing in four different ways. He says in verse 2, I will bless you. And then he says, you will be a blessing. That's number 2. And in verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you. And then finally, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so this promise is a promise of blessing. This word blessing isn't a word we use too often in today's culture outside of Christian circles and outside of some forms of rap music. Uh, but and So I think it's a key, but it is a key word in the Bible uh, because uh, if you read through the Bible, you, you see almost this battle of blessings and curses um, just all over the Bible. And you see this common storyline specifically. People sin, and as a result, they inherit curses, but God promises blessings. You see that? You see that pattern throughout the Bible. People sin and inherit curses, but God promises blessings nonetheless. And so we're going to 
we're going to jump through a few different sections of the Bible, and I want to show you how this is central to the overall storyline of the Bible. Okay, so let's go to Genesis 1. I know we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I just want to highlight this one thing. In Genesis 1, in the creation of the world, it's interesting to know that when God created human beings, he blessed them. This is Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so our defining mark as human beings in the, image of, in the image of God was this mark of blessing. We are defined, we are characterized by blessing. That was God's original design. But I'm sure many of you guys on a day-to-day basis, you don't feel very blessed. Uh, I definitely don't feel very blessed sometimes day to day. And the reason why is because the fall happened. We talked about that last week. right? We sinned, and as a result, the blessing of God was lost. And for the first time, we experienced the opposite of blessing, which is curse. We started to experience curse. As a result of our sin, we started to experience the curse of sin, and we started to experience things like pain and hunger and futility and inadequacy and guilt and shame. And However, even in the midst of curse we see that God's promise to bless has not died out. In fact, in the very curse, if you you look closely in Genesis 3, we won't dive into it too much, but if you look closely in Genesis 3, God actually embeds in the curse a promise of blessing. Although we deserved and inherited the curse of sin, God ensured that blessing would come. And and, and this this comes out most prominently in Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, God is in the process of cursing the serpent, and the serpent represents the devil. And, and God says something fascinating. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this might sound a little bit cryptic. It might sound like something from Lord of the Rings. Uh, but essentially, God is saying that one day, these human beings who are currently being cursed, these human beings who are being cursed, they were going to have an offspring, a descendant, and spoiler alert, okay, this is Jesus, but maybe Adam and Eve, they don't know that yet. And this descendant, they, this descendant will put up a fight against the devil. And there will be this mutual bruising. They're going to bruise each other. The devil's descendant and, and, and Jesus, they're going to bruise each other. Uh, and, but during the fight, in other words, there will be casualties on both sides. But that was God's promised blessing, that he's not going to let sin just win like that. He's not going to back down. It seems like the curse of sin might have the upper hand. But God wasn't going to abandon them. Sin was not going to have the final word. And God wasn't going to go down without a fight. And as we continue to read the Old Testament, we continue to see these cryptic promises all over. We see this pattern of sin and promise and sin and promise and sin and promise. We see people sin and inherit the curse of sin. But nonetheless, God promises blessing. We see that over and over. Moving along, we see this again in the story of Noah. In Noah's day, the Bible records that the wickedness of man was so great in the earth that every intention of his thoughts were only evil continually. So that's pretty bleak. It was a pretty horrible place to live, horrible time to, play, to live. And you might even think during Noah's day that the curse of sin had won. But God decides he's going to do something about it. And so as a result of sin, he wipes the earth clean. But then he decides, I will save this guy, Noah. And after he saves Noah, check out what God says in Genesis 9. He says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Do you catch that? This is like deja vu, right? This is almost the exact thing that God said to Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. 
And why is that significant? It's as if God was saying, my desire to bless you, my desire for you to be fruitful has not changed at all. Even though sin has cursed the world, even though people are violent, even though people kill each other, my desire to bless you has not changed. I will be faithful, and I will promise not curse, but blessing. And I will ensure that my promise of blessing will outlast the curse of sin. And so the story continues, and we still see the same pattern of sin and promise. Noah's descendants, they disobey God once more. They sin. And and, in the chapters before our main passage, Genesis 12, we have this strange account of people building this tower, calling it Babel. It was a sign of defiance against God. And so God curses them by confusing their language and scattering them across the earth. And as a result, they develop different cultures and different nations. And eventually, this this, this, uh, results in even more curses like ethnocentrism, imperialism, colonialism, all of that. It dates back to the, it is a result of the Tower of Babel. But then we reach our passage in Genesis 12, and God once more, he gives a promise of blessing. God once more gives a promise of blessing, this time to Abram. And this is very key, because in this promise to Abram, in in Genesis 12, verse 3, God says, In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this is key, because in other words, this promise of blessing is not just for one individual. It's not just for Abram. It is for all peoples, for all cultures, and all nations. And this is fascinating because this falls right after the story of Babel, in which there was a curse that resulted in a multitude of nations. And now God is saying, I will bless those people. He's saying, remember those people who I cursed? And now they're scattered. They have different languages, different ethnicities, different nations. I will bless those people through you, Abram. So, so far, if you're tracking with us, I'm going to recap a little bit. Our storyline goes like this, okay? God blesses Adam and Eve, then people sin. Then God blesses Noah, and then people sin. And then God blesses Abram, and then guess what happens? People sin. And if you track the whole Old Testament, you see that storyline over and over and over of people sin, and then God blesses them. And God promises more blessing. That pattern continues over and over. We see countless examples of people who sin, and we see the curse of sin manifested in all sorts of different ways, through, through floods, through slavery, through plagues, through war, through exile. We see sin over and over, but in the midst of the slavery, you, I mean, in the midst of the sin, you see this little, this little remnant, this little thread throughout Scripture of God promising blessing. Throughout the Old Testament, there is this grand cosmic tug of war between the curse of sin and the blessing of God. Between the curse of sin and the blessing of God, there's this grand tug of war. And time and time again, when it seems like the curse of sin is about to win, God reestablishes his promise of blessing and he stays faithful. And the tug of war continues. You know, uh, this pattern of sin and blessing, it continues in our own stories today. You know, we experience the curse of sin every day. And time and time again, when we go through these curses of sin, they are opportunities for us to recall and reaffirm God's blessing. Maybe for some of us, the way we experience the curse of sin is through loneliness. We experience loneliness, whether it's because of a family member, whether it's because of a loved one, whether it's because of a betrayal, maybe for others, the way we experience the curse of sin is through anxiety or depression. Maybe the, for others of us, the way we experience the curse of sin is through inadequacy uh, or frustration in regards to maybe sexual purity or maybe in regards to, to our work. 
Or maybe we're experiencing alcoholism, maybe as victims of alcoholism or as perpetrators of alcoholism. Or maybe we experience the curse of sin through distant fathers or, or overwhelmed mothers. Maybe we are those parents or maybe we are, we are the recipients of, of those parents. But let's be real. Regardless of the, what way we experience the curse of sin, during those moments, sometimes we wonder whether God's promise will pull through. During those moments, sometimes we wonder whether God is actually on our side and God is actually there with us, fighting for us. It's easy sometimes to wonder whether God actually cares. And during those moments, what is it that keeps us going? What is it that wakes us up in the morning? What is it that motivates us enough to say, you know what, I'm going to try again? Psalm 119.50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The thing that keeps us going during those afflictions is the promise of God rooted in Scripture. The thing that keeps us going is when we read the Bible and we see God's commitment to bless those who fail over and over again, we see God's unwavering faithfulness to love on those, to pursue those, we see God's relentless desire to keep fighting for us. When we see that over and over and over throughout Scripture, then we start to think, maybe that can happen to me too. When everything else fails and nothing seems to be going right, it is the promise of God that holds you steady. It is the promise of God that keeps you going. It is the promise of God that pulls you through. How? Because when we look at the Bible, we see the countless times that the curse of sin has taken its toll, and we see people left and right failing, falling. We see the promise of God putting up a fight. Then we think, Maybe that can happen to me too. When we see suffering, afflicted people in the Bible, left and right, at the end of the ropes, and we see God holding the end of the ropes, making ends meet for them, then we can think, maybe God can make that happen for me too. The promise of God is the guarantee that God isn't done yet, that God hasn't left you, that God still has a plan up his sleeve. For some of us, though, maybe this sounds nice and dandy, but it seems a little abstract. You know, it sounds nice on paper that God has a plan, but maybe sometimes we think, but I'm in the midst of this struggle right now, whatever it is. I might be going through an addiction. You know, I might have this relational issue. I'm struggling financially, whatever it is. And it doesn't seem like God has a plan. And I don't know that God, I don't know the plan. And sometimes we wonder, how long do I wait? How long is it going to take before God fulfills his promise? You know, I wonder that sometimes as well. Um... My parents separated in 2011. It's, I can't believe it's been almost six years ago now. And uh, long story short, one of them wanted, to, wanted a divorce. The other didn't. And so they just sort of, they're just separated. And uh, one of them just moved out. And, um, and now they're just at sort of like a standstill, a stalemate. And uh, sometimes I wonder, um, how long is this going to take, God? How long do I have to wait before this gets resolved? Will reconciliation ever happen? You know, you said you, you say you want good for my family. You know, we're all Christians in this family. How long is it going to take? When will resolution come? And there are personal sins in my life as well. Here's another example. Sometimes, you know, I struggle with different things, and, and, and I journal about it a lot. And if you were to ever read my journal, uh, maybe after I die you can read my journal. But uh, <laughs> you'll see, I journal about the same sins over and over and over again. It's always the same things. And sometimes I wonder, God, how long is this going to last? How long do I keep fighting? 
I've been struggling with this for years. And, I, and, I, and you say, you promise that if I dwell in you, I'm, I'm, if I abide in you, I'm, I'm supposed to bear fruit. But how come the fruit doesn't seem to be coming? When will you change my heart? And then on another level, a bigger level, there are these geopolitical issues that I struggle with, that I pray about. The Syrian refugee crisis, the South Sudan famine, the estimated 45 million people around the world in slavery. And sometimes I wonder, how long is that going to last? There's so many people praying on behalf of these people, longing for the justice of God to be made known throughout the earth. When will you bring justice? When will you fulfill your promise and, and bring justice? So sometimes we wonder about all of these things, and sometimes we ask, will God fulfill these promises? And the reason why, I think, one of the reasons why, is we live in a world of unfulfilled promises. Sometimes it's our parents who don't fulfill their promises. Sometimes it's our spouses who don't fulfill their promises. Sometimes our elected government officials don't fulfill their promises. Sometimes our pastors don't fulfill their promises. And sometimes we experience that so much that we project that onto God, and we wonder, will God fulfill his promise? And we just keep waiting and waiting. And we keep wondering, will God pull through? There's an interesting passage in the Bible that's always bothered me. It's in Hebrews 11. And uh, in this passage, Hebrews 11, 39 to 40, uh, but, but before this passage, God is talking, I mean, the author, he's talking about all these heroes of old, people who demonstrated enormous faith, and they claimed onto the promise of God. But then in verse 39, it says, And all these, all these people, all these heroes of faith, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. All these heroes of faith did not receive what was promised. And that always bugged me. But why did they not receive what was promised? This is verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And this always bothered, bothered me for the longest time. Why is it that these people did not receive what was promised? People like Abraham. God promised him, you will be a great nation. I will bless you, and, I will, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Why is it that these people did not receive what was promised? Because we received something better than what was promised. And what in the world does that mean? So this is how it works, I think. If you look at all of these stories in the Bible... You'll notice that a lot of these promises, at face level, at surface level, they didn't seem to be fulfilled. For example, you know, God had promised later, we read in Genesis, that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And that he would have this promised land, his descendants would dwell in this promised land, he would be this great nation, he'd become a multitude of nations. Well, when Abraham died, that wasn't the case. When Abraham died, he had a few descendants, not descendants as numerous as the stars, and his family didn't have a permanent home. They remained sojourners for hundreds of years. And most people of earth never heard of him, let alone were blessed by him. And even after he died, yes, his descendants became a nation, but his nation didn't stick around. His nation was divided. It was split up, conquered, exiled. And so when you look at that, you look at that and you would wonder, did God really fulfill his promise to Abraham? Did God, did, did, did Abraham really become a great nation? And the reason why is because God provided something better than what was promised. What was this thing that was promised? That was, what was this thing that was better? I want to read just two passages from Galatians 3 that I hope will shed some light on this. Galatians 3, starting from verse 13, it says, 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that, catch this, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And here's the other passage, Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so what is this saying? This is what's going on. In the Old Testament, God continually countered the curse of sin with the promise of blessing. We saw that pattern, right? Sin, promise of blessing, sin, promise of blessing. But when Jesus came, God fulfilled the promise of blessing. So he wasn't just promising things anymore. He fulfilled the promise by defeating the curse once and for all. So now, this grand cosmic tug of war between blessing and curse, now that tug of war is over because God had won. Because Jesus, the offspring of the woman, had won. He had fought the good fight and he won. And the recipients of the blessing of Abraham are not just his literal biological descendants, but they are the Gentiles. They are the Gentiles. We, the church, are Abraham's descendants. God promised Abraham that his descendants would be a great nation. We, the church, are the great nation. God promised to Abraham that his descendants would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. We, the church, are the blessing to all the families of the earth. God promised so many promises to Abraham, and we, the church, are the final fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. And we have been commissioned to be fruitful and multiply, not just by making babies biologically, but by rolling back the curse of sin as we share the blessings of God with the world. That is how we be fruitful and multiply. And so do you see that? So God's plan was to create something better than what Abraham initially might have thought as his Literal fulfillment of blessing. So did God fulfill his promise to Abraham? You bet he did. How? Through the church. Through us. And if you are part of the church, then you are proof that God fulfills his promises. If you are part of the church, you are proof that God fulfills his promise. So when we struggle, and I say that because when we struggle with the idea, will God fulfill his promises? Will God fulfill his promises? You just need to look at the church. You look at the church and you see God fulfilled his promise to Abraham in a way far better than what Abraham imagined. And so God can fulfill his promise to me in a way far better than I can imagine. When we feel lonely, frustrated, overwhelmed, betrayed, ignored, aimless, when we wonder whether God is a God who keeps his promises, we can remember that we are the living proof that God is a God who keeps his promises in a way better than we can imagine. Let's pray. Father, in a world that is desperate for consistency, desperate for stability, desperate for certainty, there is one thing we can count on, and that is that you are a God who fulfills your promises. Though affliction is all around us, you promise healing. Though death is all around us, you promise life. Though curse is all around us, you promise blessing. So I pray that your spirit would empower us, as the writer of Hebrews says, to hold fast the confession of faith for our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And God, we thank you so much that you are a faithful God. You are not just this nonchalant God who is willy-nilly blessing this and blessing that and cursing this and cursing that without any rhyme or reason, but you are a God with a plan. 
And thank you that though we may break our promises to you over and over, you never break your promises with us. And you will always fulfill your promises, sometimes far better than, than we would imagine. And that is the one thing we can count on, that you will never let us down. You'll always hold your promise to us. May you continue to fulfill your promise you made to Abraham today in our own lives, that wherever we go, we may share your blessings with others, and that through us, the church, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And for this in your son's name, amen.